And as you turn in there, we're going to go to the Lord one more time in prayer that he anoints me to, to preach his word. You know, God's word is perfect. And uh, pastors aren't, Christians aren't. Only uh, one perfect guy walked the earth, and that was uh, because he's God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a, um, it's a scary thing to be uh, asked to preach God's infallible word when you know you're a fallible person. So let's, uh, let's pray for that anointing one more time. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just uh, we pray that you bless those who are with us right now. And, and uh, a lot of our family members aren't here today, Lord. And I pray that you bless them where they're at. And um, you just equip us, Lord, for service because uh, you're our king and we serve you. So the people that are here today, Lord, they took time out of their busy schedules to fellowship with one another, to pray corporately as a body of believers, um, to praise you and worship you, and to receive instruction in your word. And so I pray, Lord, that it would not be fake news, that it would be your perfect word proclaimed from this pulpit, and that you would anoint me by your spirit to interpret your word properly so that I would not lead anyone astray. Pray, Lord, that you receive all the glory, um, not just in our service today, but throughout our lives. And I pray, Lord, as Pastor John was saying, uh, remind everybody here, this is we're not doing Christianity here. When we worship you together as a body, and uh, we're assembling in the name of your son, but we're being equipped for service. And so may we think about the people that we reached out to and touched and, and uh, spoke the truth and love to throughout the week, that you be with them, Lord. And I know some of us invited some of them to church and everything, may, but the evil one wants to keep them from coming here. So I just pray, Lord, that... Uh, You'd give us the boldness to share the good news of salvation through Jesus with others, and you equip us to disciple those that we lead to Christ, to bring them to spiritual maturity. And I thank you, Lord, for this church. I pray that you never, ever remove our lampstand from this dark, dark community. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, um, so Second Thessalonians we're going to, chapter 2, we're going to bring it up at verse 8. I just want to remind you, though, with my understanding of this passage, and it's been the understanding of the church for 2,000 years, but you have three different words in, in chapters 1 and 2 for the second coming of Christ. It's the same event, parousia, which means coming or arrival. Um, epiphania means appearing. And apocalypsis means revelation, the revelation of the Lord Jesus, the appearing of the Lord Jesus, the coming or arrival of the Lord Jesus. All are the same event. Um, our gathering together to him, this passage makes, makes no sense unless it's all the same event, that the second coming of Christ and our gathering to him, they're not two distinct events. None of the events is secret, okay, Jesus said, don't even listen to people when they tell you that he came in secret. Um, when he comes, it's going to be as obvious as the lightning striking in the east and flashing to the west. So the parousia, epiphania, apocalypsis, are gathering together to him, the day of the Lord, 
it's all the same event. And at that time, it occurs what? We learned last week, the defeat of the Antichrist. And in, in chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, eternal punishment, not tribulation, eternal punishment for the unsaved. So all of these things occur on the day of Christ, which means Christians will go through the tribulation period. And uh, if, you, if you don't agree with me on that, you know, fine. None of my professors agreed with me on it throughout the years. But, um, but the fact of the matter is... Uh, Everybody, whether you're pre, mid, post, trib, or pre-wrath, whatever you may be, be willing to suffer for Jesus. Right now, we got Christian brothers and sisters in China that are being imprisoned, being tortured, and being executed. I personally don't know why America gets an exemption from that. It's happening in Nigeria. It's happening in India. Okay, it's happening throughout the world. And believe me, once the American government gives the thumbs up to come down in a full-blown way on Christianity, that will give the European governments exactly what they want. And it will be global persecution of Christians. Okay, um, and uh, now I hope the pre-tribbers are right. I don't like pain. I got a little bit of back pain, and I'm like a big baby about that. My wife's got a lot of pain right now, and um, I'm not a fan of pain. But as the pastor of the church, I have to preach what I believe God's word is saying, and this is a non-essential area. It's essential, the second coming of Christ. You don't believe in the second coming of Christ, you know, you're not saved. You've you got some real confusion there. Um, but uh, Paul tells us the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and the restrainer, who I think is the Holy Spirit, is going to move out of the way. I don't think that necessitates the evacuation of the church. Paul prepares us uh, for persecution. He doesn't prepare us for evacuation. And so the Antichrist will be revealed when out of the, out of the midst the Holy Spirit comes when the Holy Spirit stops blocking the Antichrist, then uh, he'll be revealed. And uh, so look at verse 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. And then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist. Paul calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one. John, The apostle John calls him the Antichrist, okay? And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So there's that word parousia again with coming, and the brightness is epiphania, okay? Uh, but his coming, and that's what he was talking about in verse 1, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. When does that occur? That occurs when Jesus returns to defeat the Antichrist. This is after the tribulation, okay? And, um, and so the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, how is he going to be revealed? When are we going to know for sure? I mean, right now, how many people know? You know, you got Daniel 9. It's a very difficult passage to interpret, but Daniel 9, 23 to 27, the Antichrist has to sign a seven-year peace treaty with the many, probably Israel and many nations. Um, how many of us even know about like the Abrahamic Accord 
that Donald Trump got started that uh, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is still working on that right now. In fact, some believe that Hamas um, attacking uh, Israel was due to the fact it was like within a day or two of when Saudi Arabia was supposed to sign up with the uh, Abrahamic Accord, where many nations were going to say, we're going to put aside our hate, hatred for the nation of Israel and try to work towards peace with Israel. And of course, Hamas doesn't like that. Hezbollah doesn't like that. And the ones that flip the bill don't like that. That's Iran. So an extra few billion dollars that they were given by our president just before this stuff came down, how much of that, how much of this was financed by us, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And, um, um, but, you know, but even if there's a seven year peace treaty gets signed by many nations, how do we know for sure? Jesus tells us we don't know for sure until we see the abomination of desolation in the holy place. Look at Matthew 24, Matthew 24. That's why John tells us we know the Antichrist is coming, but even so many Antichrists have come. I mean, there were people, I was reading a book by a pre-tribber, Dehan, his last name, can't remember his first name, and it was a commentary on the book of Daniel, and Daniel deals with a lot with end-time prophecies, and I was reading from this old dispensational preacher why he was arguing, what he was telling people, no, Hitler cannot be the Antichrist and Mussolini cannot be the false prophet because the, the end time prophecies clearly say that the Jews will have their own nation again. They'll be back in the land before the end times start. And I was like, when did this guy write this book? And then I looked back and the copyright was like 1945 or something, like a year or two before the Jews were back in the land. And... Um, and so that's what Paul's telling the Thessalonians. There's some things that have to happen before Jesus is going to return for the church. The apostasy, the falling away of the faith, okay? And uh, what's going to be known as Christianity in the last days is not going to be true Christianity. By the way, this present pope, Pope Francis, he is big time on board. It's amazing how between the feast of trumpets and the, the uh, Day of Atonement, how many meetings occurred in New York City among globalists and um, with their big agenda? And Pope Francis played a big role in that and, uh, and interviewed at the Clinton Foundation big deal and, and stuff. And um, so there's a, believe me, we're, we're more than building the foundation of this end time false Christianity. There's going to be that falling away first and then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Matthew 24, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So we won't know for sure. That's why I say the end time prophecies are so vague, God purposely made them so vague that every generation of Christians for the last 2,000 years thought Jesus might return in my lifetime. And what does that do? 
Well, that should encourage you to live for Jesus and not for yourself. Yet, Jesus made the end-time prophecies so specific that last generation will know for sure. The problem is, the Antichrist sitting in the temple proclaiming to be God, an image of the Antichrist put there by, you know, might be, AI might be involved, um, and uh, holograms, who knows, but an image of the Antichrist put in the temple that actually breathes and speaks and demands that everybody accept the mark of the beast, that's like, Jesus, you can't give me more heads up than that? You know, I mean, I, I'm I, I'm not as fast as I used to be. If I got to head for the hills, it's gonna it's gonna take me more than just a couple days to get there. And me and the missus, we're not the two fastest people on the planet Earth anymore. And uh, couldn't you give me more more warnings? So I might get a little head start when they start like rebuilding the temple. If that coincides with a seven year peace treaty, man, I'm uh, you know. I might even camp in my front yard, get used to being an outdoors guy instead of a city boy. So, but, um, uh, but when the Antichrist goes in the temple, so it's, we will definitely know. Now, what has he given us? He's given us the signs of the times to watch. And there's a lot of people saying, there's no sign. There's just going to be the secret snatching away. No, well, then why do you guys keep reporting on the signs? If there's no signs, what do you, we see things that really look like the signs pointing forward. This is going on with uh, Hamas and Israel right now. And the whole UN wants to tell Israel, okay, enough is enough. We want a truce. I mean, it's just like, it's like breaking up a fight after the guy who started the fight cold cocks somebody. And then you break it up and never give the other guy the opportunity to, to defend himself. I mean, that's just not fair. Every nation should have the right to defend itself. And, um, but... Uh, right now, America, at least to a certain degree, is back in Israel, although we we finance Israel's enemies many times over than any finances we give to Israel. But whatever the case, um, right now, it seems like America is the only friend that Israel has. But the Bible says, Zechariah 14, all nations... Not all nations except for America. I don't even know if we're going to be around the end times, by the way. And you might think, oh, no, America's too strong. With the debt we got right now, um, uh, we, we still think we're the wealthiest nation on earth. What a joke. That's um, like, what is uh, Rand Paul? He, he keeps, he's been saying stuff like this for decades, but it doesn't help the world security and the cause of world peace for America to finance Ukraine's war with Russia by borrowing money from China. Okay. What's wrong with the picture people? Okay. So um, we got a lot of people with evil intentions doing evil things. And then you read the Bible. It's like, wow, they're, we're seeing the coalition of Russia with Turkey and with the Arab nations. Um, we're seeing Israel at war and people wanting to wipe them off the face of the earth. We're seeing global government in the embryonic form at the UN and they hate Israel. So we're seeing all these things uh, fall into place, but we won't know for sure until the Antichrist 
is revealed. Now, he's called the lawless one, the lawless one. And uh, and it's, so if you look at Matthew 24 and verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You know, now think about it. Uh, now, I'm a believer now, so I wouldn't think this way. But as a non-believer, I would think of it. I mean, if they legalize, like, killing innocent human beings just because you don't like it. If they, if they said, uh, you know, tomorrow uh, you're allowed to kill anybody you can get away with killing and we won't charge you, you know, how many people would have a list? Start working on a list tonight, okay? So what's actually restraining an awful lot of evil-minded people, we're all fallen, but some of us are more evil than others, What's, uh, what's restraining a whole lot of people from just going out and slaughtering the people that they don't like? Um, for a lot of them, it's because they're afraid of the law. They're afraid of the government. Now, you remove the government from the picture, and what does that do? What, what happens when your laws, instead of promoting God's righteousness and treating others the way you want to be treated, what happens when lawlessness increases and all of a sudden the government starts promoting evil? You know, it's Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. When you get a nation doing that, you know, Romans 1.32, not only doing evil, but encouraging others to do evil and promoting it. So, I mean, it's not just widespread homosexuality. It's Gay Pride Week. You suppose they're taking pride in their sinfulness. And when the government decides it's going to promote immorality and evil, automatically it's going to declare war on its good citizens. And when it promotes evil, you can call it laws, but that's not, promotion of evil is not law and order, it's lawlessness. And that's what we're seeing today. Just turn on your television set. 1998, when I wrote that paper about the coming death of Western civilization, I'm not talking about the coming death of Western civilization anymore. You get online or uh, you read your newspaper or you watch the news on television, you're not seeing the coming death of Western civilization. You're, you're witnessing the death of Western civilization. Now, can God turn it back if he wants? Yes. Okay. If there's revival, we might, you know, some, sometimes with the Jews, they were beyond the point of no return, that it was like, forget about revival, the judgment's coming. That's what Jeremiah's message was. Not a popular message. Not a popular message. Guy kept getting thrown into miry pits and guy kept getting whooped and beat because all the other prophets were saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's going to be okay. We're going to be comfortable. And then Jeremiah speaks up and says, no, look, dude, we're going down. We need to surrender to the Babylonians. God's going to use the Babylonians to judge us. Surrender to the pagans? How unpatriotic could you be? Is what they thought of Jeremiah. But you preach the truth. You might say, well, if I preach the truth, I might not get that, that better position, that better job, that whatever it may be. No, you preach the truth. 
We're Jesus' people. We build his kingdom, not our own. We live for his glory, not our glory. We live for Jesus, not ourselves. But Jesus said, it's, lawlessness is going to increase, and so the love of many will grow cold. You're going to find out how much that neighbor loves you when he's allowed when it's legal for him to pretty much hate you. And, uh, and I think it's all part of the Holy Spirit restraining evil, restraining the Antichrist from being revealed. But when the Antichrist appears, he's going to have that short three-and-a-half-year reign in the book of Revelation. And, uh, but the Lord Jesus will defeat the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. It's real interesting to look at that passage in the Greek because the word for breath is also the word for spirit. So it's kind of interesting, the spirit of his mouth, but whatever the case, the Lord Jesus Christ, just through the spoken word and the brightness, again, that word there, that's the epiphania, the unveiling, the revelation of the Lord Jesus the, uh, of his coming, the parousia, all the same words that are being used there. And so look at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Now, I, I think Paul, you know, Paul spent three weeks with these guys. So he went into detail. He may have gone into as much detail or even more detail because it doesn't take three weeks to read the book of Revelation. And so how much of this stuff that God revealed to John, how much stuff did, did the Lord Jesus also reveal to Paul? Um, Paul keeps, in, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul keeps reminding the Thessalonians about, he's referring back to things he talked with them about. So he didn't even mention who the restrainer is. They know already because he told them. So we're just getting the tip of the iceberg here. But we can fill in those blanks because God does not contradict himself and God revealed things to the Apostle John. So we can get some more information about how Jesus is going to conquer the Antichrist. And that's through the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the planet Earth. And so Revelation 19, Starting at verse 11, and it runs down to the end of the chapter. By the, by the way, um, I, you know, I don't know if anybody's visiting the church today or anything like that, but you might, if you've been coming for the last few weeks, you probably think, man, that, you might be thinking, man, that Fernandez, all he preaches about is the end time prophecy. No, we're going through the whole Bible. We're in second, that, you know, first and second Thessalonians, that's pretty much the bulk of what he's talking about is the end times. So it's kind of one of those deals, if you don't, you don't like what I'm preaching on today, you don't like what God wrote. He wrote, he wrote this stuff, not me. And uh, I'm just telling you, don't, don't, um, don't kill the messenger. Uh, but, uh, but the message is from, from, uh, from our king. And um, but Revelation 19, 11 to 21, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called Faithful and True, 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We know that's the Lord Jesus. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he told us, praise God, the Word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. His name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth, you see, Jesus is going to defeat him with the breath of his mouth. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And we know that the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is a two-edged sword. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, so that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. How long is he going to rule them? A thousand years. Just read Revelation chapter 20. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He brings with him the wrath of God. We're protected from God's wrath. But God's wrath is eternal wrath. It may start on earth, but it runs on and on forever and ever. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's, that's King Jesus. That's not, that's not Bill Gates, okay? That's not Joey Biden. That's, not, that's King Jesus, King of Kings and the Lord of the Lord. I mean, this world is going to decide, you know what? We're sick and tired of the Jews. And even God's word says that Jews are some pretty stubborn, obnoxious people, kind of like the Italians back in Essex County, New Jersey. And the whole world's going to say, you know, we're tired of them. We're just going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Well, guess what? Uh, guess what, powerful people of this world? Globalists, guys who want to be dictators, world dictators. Guess what? There's one Jew you shouldn't be messing with. You know, the old expression back in Jersey, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. I, I, when I was 21 years old, I decided to stop messing with King Jesus. We got leaders. Some of them have IQs, so some of them don't. But, um, uh, but we got leaders who, who still haven't, they, they haven't woken up and gotten, smelt the coffee. They didn't get the memo yet. Don't mess with King Jesus, okay? You want to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth? Try taking out Jesus. You see what happens. And, um, but he comes with the wrath of God. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, this is not the wedding feast, by the way. That's mentioned in another chapter. Um, this is the, basically he's calling on the birds and the vultures to eat the flesh that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Those who sided with the Antichrist that are going to be invading Israel in the last days, they're going, to, they're going to be wiped out by King Jesus when he returns. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gather to make war, gather together to make war against him who sat on the horse, and against his army. 
Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, the first two to get cast into the eternal flames of hell. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so the Lord Jesus Christ will defeat the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. So when Jesus returns, he will defeat the Antichrist. Uh, look at Zechariah 14. The Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 14. We'll look at verses 1 to 5. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. So once again, the day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. It doesn't occur seven years before the second coming of Christ. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. So if America's still around in the last days, we're mentioned right here with all the nations. And, you know, because eventually the, the, the UN, they want... Peace at any cost, well, peace, their, their definition of peace is they oppress the, the billions, the few, the man-molders of the New Age, as C.S. Lewis called them in the 1940s, the man-molders of the New Age, the few will control the billions, okay? And so they don't really, don't really want peace, but in the end, it's going to be a situation where we got this one problem, it won't go away, and they're the Jews, so if we can just wipe them off the face of the earth, then we'll live together in peace. Now, again, that's the globalist definition of peace is you don't have to worry about war, but the government's got its boot on your neck 24-7 in a surveillance state. Not exactly what I would call a peace like that. Who needs wars? And... Uh, uh, but, I, but God says, I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, and the woman ravished. You know, we used to think, well, that only goes on in the ancient times. You don't, when you go to war, you don't, you don't, ladies don't get raped anymore. No. What do you think is going on right now? Um, and the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, just to the east of Jerusalem, which faces Jerusalem on the east. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives. Favorite place to go in Israel. I love to just stay on the Mount of Olives and look at the eastern gate and know that Jesus is going to land. He ascended to heaven on the Mount of Olives. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives, and then he's going to enter Jerusalem through the eastern gate. And so what do the Muslims do? And the, the Jews, even the Old Testament says Messiah will come through the eastern gate. So what did the... Uh, Muslims do, they walled it up with like yards of cement. And then they put a, a Muslim graveyard out there. Okay? So maybe, oh, he's the Messiah, can't go through that. That'll make him unclean. Um, you know, touching an un, a dead body is supposed to make you unclean. Jesus would, Jesus would heal him. He'd raise him. Uh, billions alive Muslims 
can't stop Messiah. You think dead Muslims are going to stop him? But, uh, but I love the Mount of Olives. King Jesus is going to land there and enter Jerusalem through the eastern gate. And, um, uh, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. So it's going to be like this big earthquake, making a large valley. Half of the mountain uh, shall move toward the north and half of it to the south. Uh, and then you shall flee through my mountain valley from the mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God, he's called both Yahweh and Elohim, then the Lord my God will come. That's King Jesus. And Yahweh, our Elohim, the Lord my God will come and all, in, all the saints with you. All the saints with him, some translations read. And so what you have here is when all nations invade Israel in the last days, the Lord Jesus will return and he'll defeat uh, the Antichrist throw the Antichrist and the false prophet into the eternal lake of fire, and then he'll reign upon the earth for a thousand years. Satan will be chained up in the abyss. He'll be released for one final revolt against Jesus, and then Jesus defeats him, and then it's the great white throne judgment where those whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life will be thrown into uh, the flames of hell forever. Um, I'm telling you, we have so little freedom of speech left Preach Jesus. We got, a, we got a lot of Christian brothers and sisters that are just like so intimidated. They just want to, you know, shut up. Now is not the time to shut up. Be loud while we still can. And then when everything comes down and the loud Christians get locked up, then it's the quiet brothers and sisters can take it from there. And we'll have a strong underground church, probably mobile um, that'll be there when King Jesus comes back. But, um, um, but all nations will invade Israel. <clears throat> That's when Jesus <clears throat> will return and defeat the Antichrist. Now, back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, so verse 8, the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Okay, uh, so the Antichrist will be empowered by Satan to perform miracles. <clears throat> what makes his miracles false miracles is not that they are not supernatural. Um. The angelic realm, realm <clears throat> can perform supernatural events, okay? Uh, what makes them false miracles is that they pretend to be from the good side, but they're actually deceiving people. It comes along with a false demonic message, and it's empowered by Satan. And uh, so we're going to look at Revelation 13 in just a minute to see what some of these false miracles are like. But three words are used. The word for power is uh, dunamis. Uh, we get our word dynamite from it. <clears throat> it means the power of the miracle. Okay? Signs 
Sameos, that means the message of the miracle. <clears throat> it's like a, a, a stop sign is giving you a message. A speed limit sign is giving you a message. Miracles come with a message, okay? If it's a false miracle, it's a false message. If it's a true miracle from God, it will testify of the Lord Jesus either directly or, or indirectly. So power, that's dunamis, the signs, sameas, and then teras, like a terrifying, it's the lying wonders, the, the wonders. But, you know, um, the apostles are spoken of as doing um, power, signs, and wonders. So, you know, Gordon Clark, a Presbyterian philosopher in the early to mid-1900s, he said, he said, no, Satan and his demons can perform miracles. The same words that are used for God's miracles are also used of Satan and his demons. The only difference is uh, it's empowered by these evil entities and the message it gives is false, tries to lead people away from Christ. I'm telling you, um, verses 11 and 12 are going to make this clear. If you are not 100% on Jesus' side, you will be deceived. When things come down, this is one of the reasons why I don't think God's going to evacuate the church. He's going to leave us around to preach Jesus, and it may cost us our lives, but if we save a few people in the process through the power of the Holy Spirit, then let's do it. Let's get it done. Um, but I'm telling you, if you do not embrace the truth, you're going to be so vulnerable to the lie when you see signs and wonders and powers, when you see these miracles going on, did Jesus, the way he describes it, if possible, even the elect would be deceived. Okay? And um, uh, I, I, got a, I got a phone call from a buddy out of state, donates to the church, great guy, godly guy, but he gave me a... Asked how my health was, how my wife's health, and then he's, he's, he does this kind of radical, natural diet. I don't know. And then I, I hear from the keto people, their diet. And, of course, you got the vegans and the vegetarians. Look, I don't know enough of the truth about what good nutrition is. I know what I'm eating is wrong. I know driving through the McDonald's drive-thru is not... Uh, you know, I'm probably losing a few months of my life expectancy every trip I make out there. But I don't know enough to tell you what's right. Okay? And um, I, advice about my back, I get all from all different sources. Guys telling me, no, stretch this way. No, stretch this way. And it's like, I don't know. Use this, use that. I don't know. I don't know enough. So I'm very easy to be deceived in those areas because I don't know whether I'm coming or going. But when it comes to eternal, your eternal health, not your temporary health on planet Earth, know enough of the truth so you see a counterfeit when it comes. Because if you don't believe in the crucified, risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you going to do when some guy, everybody says peace and safety, and then Paul says, and then destruction will come. But everybody thinks this is our great peacemaker. He finally brought us peace. And then he gets assassinated, and he's dead, and then he rises from the dead. He goes in the temple of Jerusalem and claims to be God. It's 
As Paul said earlier in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you're going to fall for that because that's going to be the greatest counterfeit if you don't accept the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to fall prey to that counterfeit. People are going to look at you like you're crazy. See, he, look, the guy's claiming to be God. He rose from the dead. How could you not accept that? But Jesus forewarned us about him. Blaise Pascal spent some ink and paper writing about that, about how we we're forewarned about the Antichrist. So when he comes, we should not fall prey. And, um, but put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. We're going to see the truth has got to be rejected before God allows. Part of the restraining of the Holy Spirit, the truth has to be proclaimed before God will allow people to, to be deluded with this big lie. Okay? And, um, and that's where... Uh, I think uh, we're, well, look at, look at Matthew 24, verse 14. Jesus is talking about the end times. And he's talking about birth pains. He said, yeah, but the, this is not yet the end. This is not yet the end. This is not yet the end. And then he says in verse 14 of Matthew 24, and this gospel, the good news of the kingdom, whose kingdom? God's kingdom. And this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world, as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And so we still got some people groups, some language groups that haven't heard the gospel yet. But once the gospel is preached to all nations, and many people who hear it reject the truth, then will come the strong delusion. Okay? And, uh, but Paul will talk about that um, a little bit later. But, but the Antichrist is going to perform, be empowered by Satan to perform miracles. Look at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. I'm not going to be able to break down all the symbolism here. Revelation 13, starting at verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and, and on his heads uh, a blasphemous name. Now keep in mind, the beast stands for the end-time one-world government, but it also stands for the person who heads that government, the Antichrist. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, Revelation 12 says the dragon is Satan. Satan gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Okay? And uh, that symbolism, you got to get into the book of Daniel, read his prophecies about the prophecy of the four beasts and all. And, uh, but you're going to have a, a one-world government with ten regions. The world's going to be broken down into 10 regions and the Antichrist is going to rule over the world. Verse 3, and I saw one of his heads, seven heads, one of the heads, one of them, as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon, that's Satan, 
who gave authority to the beast, that's the Antichrist, and they worshiped the beast, the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? That means he's going to have a monopoly on the military power of planet Earth. And uh, by the way, the UN has been moving for that in that direction um, since the John F. Kennedy administration, the Freedom From War document, where they wanted the United Nations to have a monopoly of the arms of the world, and each nation would only have enough military equipment to police its own people. So whatever tanks are left for America, that's to use on Americans. Not our enemies, because supposedly the UN's going to give us peace. You know, um, believe me, uh, there's going to be more wars, more deaths through war during the time of so-called peace. You know, when, pe when everyone says peace and safety, then destruction will come. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But, uh, but who is able to make war with him? So he's going to have, he's probably going to be ruling over the UN, ruling over the world. He's going to have a monopoly on military power. Um, and he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, speaking against God. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's the three and a half years of the tribulation period before the return of Christ. See, the first three and a half years of the seven-year treaty, nowhere does the Bible call that tribulation. Only the last three and a half years are referred to as tribulation. The time, times, and half a time, the 42 months, the three and a half years mentioned in the book of Revelation is covering the same time period and from different perspectives um, throughout the book of Revelation. And so he's given authority for three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And we know from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that blasphemy is going to include him sitting in the temple of God and claiming to be God and demanding that he be worshipped. Um, it was granted to him to make war with the saints. Everywhere outside the book of Revelation, except one passage, the saints are always church-age believers. The one passage that they're not, those were the believers in Jesus who had recently died. When Jesus was on the cross, those saints were raised. So it seems like the most usual, the most common reference or definition of the word saints is church-age believers in the New Testament. And he's able uh, to make war um, uh, with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's going to rule the entire world. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, if your name's not in the Lamb's book of life, you better come to King Jesus. And you better come to him on bended knee. Don't go to Jesus like you're going to teach him something. You come to the Lord Jesus, our creator, our savior. You trust in him for salvation, and, um, and then your name will be recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And John says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. I'm hoping we all have spiritual ears today. I'm hoping when God speaks, we listen. I'm hoping we hear. In verse 10, 
He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Okay, a lot of people say, therefore, don't defend yourself. No, that's not what it's saying. Um, those who lead Christians into captivity, Jesus is going to put them in captivity when he comes back. Not, he's not going to slaughter everybody. He's going to slaughter the invading armies, but he's going to imprison a whole lot of people in the millennial kingdom. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. You, you try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, King Jesus is going to take you out. Okay? And that's the patience and the faith of the saints. The way, would you give us patience and help us to endure? Would you give us comfort? Is not that, oh, I am so tough. I can handle this. What gives us patience and endurance is King Jesus. I'm telling you right now, King Jesus has already won. He died on a cross for our sins, and then he rose from the dead to conquer death for us. He's already won. But then after appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days, uh, God the Father spoke to Jesus right there in the Mount of Olives. Maybe only Jesus heard him then, but King David prophesied it would happen. When King David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so Jesus is on the throne. He will come back and take what is rightfully his. Um, there's people out there that don't believe he's on the throne and believe he's irrelevant. Some Jewish guy who just died 2,000 years ago. Um, let me tell you, Jesus is omni-relevant. He is all relevant, and he is seated on the throne. And by the way, those who don't bow the knee to him, when he comes off the throne, they're going to wish he was still on the throne. Because when he comes off the throne, he's going to make his enemies a footstool for his feet. We got to preach Jesus. We're running out of time, brothers and sisters. We got to preach King Jesus until he returns in glory. And then Jesus will make things right. Yeah, too many times we we're always looking for justice. And there's time, a time and a place when you look for justice. If you get in a car accident, it wasn't your fault. You want justice. If your loved one gets killed, gets murdered, you want justice, okay? But we Christians are looking for justice too much, okay? Um, you know, if we get what we deserve, it's called hell, people. It's called the lake of fire. I don't want justice. I want grace, okay? And, um, and so let's stop worrying about our own rights and let you start preaching Jesus. Let's share Jesus with other Trinity Bible Fellowship. If, if Trinity Bible Fellowship is a powerful church, okay, you can't tell that from coming here on Sunday morning. You'd have to watch us all throughout the week if we're serving the king because we're supposed to equip the saints for service. And by the way, you might think, well, wow, only God's watching us all throughout the week. Well, it used to be that way. Now, Big Brother's watching you, too. And, uh, and um, so they know. They know the real believers from the pretenders. The government knows better than most churches know. And, um, 
And uh, verse 11 in Revelation 13, the Antichrist is going to have a right-hand man. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Most believe this, this is the, he's, later on he's called the false prophet, a religious leader. So, so the Antichrist, he has a monopoly on the military power. Um, he's going to get a monopoly on the economic power with the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell without it, without worshiping the Antichrist. Okay? He's going to have a political monopoly. And by aligning with the false prophet, he's going to have a religious monopoly. Okay? We're going to be on the outside looking in. No place for Christians in, uh, in the Antichrist-ruled world. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, like a messiah, but he spoke like a dragon. He spoke well, the words of Satan. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So whoever this false prophet is, this one world religious leader, he's going to then say, okay, take the focus off me and put it on the Antichrist. Worship him. So kind of like he's going to be like the what John the Baptist was to Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. That's what the false prophet will be to the Antichrist. Um, but he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence and caused the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he's deceiving through these miraculous works. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, in the sight of the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. I don't know what that all entails, but I mean, we got, we got AI right now. We got hologram research. We got... 3D printing. We know pig's pig skin is the easiest. Remember, um, uh, James Moore and I had a discussion about this years ago. He enlightened me about a lot of stuff. But but our human skin, the best way to graft it, if you've got to use animal skin, is with pig skin. Can you imagine if they make this transhumanist? I don't even know if it's going to be any part human, human, machine, animal, hybrid, or whatever. But, you know, we thought Antiochus Epiphanes was evil when he slaughtered a pig in the temple. Well, I have no idea what this is, but with today's technology, the sky's the limit. He is, the, is the limit. He gives power to the, uh, breath, power and breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666, okay? We have been forewarned, brothers and sisters. This stuff is real. This stuff is coming down. I don't think God forewarns us to entertain us. I think he warns us because we have a need to know.
because his people are going to go through this. And uh, look at Revelation 14, 9 to 11. Well, what about those um, um, who receive the mark of the beast? Then a third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his name and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. This is not annihilation of the wicked. This is eternal conscious torment. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So those who worship the Antichrist, they're going to hell, the eternal lake of fire. And then verse 12, here is that phrase again. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and uh, the faith of Jesus. And then he even goes on to say, so our, our patience is that in the end, Jesus wins. Okay? Don't, don't surrender three and a half years of your life, say, well, I'll get the mark of the beast and my life will be comfortable. No, you get the mark of the beast, your life will still be horrible for three and a half years, and then you got the eternal flames of hell. Uh, that's a lose-lose situation. And so you have patience and you endure because you know our king will come. You know our king will conquer. You know our king will rescue us. You know our king will do what is right. And in verse 13, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Um, I don't, it's hard for me to look at the tribulation as a blessing. God's word says it's a, it's a blessing and great is your reward in heaven to be persecuted um, for the name of the Lord Jesus. And, um, uh, and so the Antichrist will be empowered by Satan to perform miracles. He's going to have this right-hand man with him, okay? And, um, and then, uh, but the Lord Jesus Christ will defeat him through the breath of his mouth, spoken word, and the brightness of his coming. And uh, I think we're going to stop there, and then we'll get to, to move on to verse 10. Um, but, you know, keep in mind, just Revelation eleven seven. The Satan will indwell the Antichrist, but according to Revelation 16, 13 to 14, there's going to be three unclean spirits, Satan, the one that indwells the Antichrist and the one that indwells the false prophet. And where does this demon who possesses, this fallen angel that possesses um, the uh, Antichrist, where does he come from? And I think there's a hint in Revelation 11, verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, the abyss, will make war against them overcome them and kill them. He's talking about killing the two witnesses. So I think there's a high-ranking fallen angel that was one of Satan's right-hand men, if you want to call him that, who's going to be released from the abyss, the bottomless pit, who will be the primary demon 
to possess the Antichrist in the last days. So um, I'm just going to close just reading those two verses again so that it sinks in because we've got a lot of information. Then the lawless one, the Antichrist will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The Antichrist is going to deceive many. There's going to be many false prophets, many false Christs. Many are going to be deceived. Now, now is the day of salvation, brothers and sisters. If you haven't totally turned your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, please, I beseech you, do it now. Trust in Jesus alone for salvation. It's going to get hot in the kitchen, and if you're there in your own strength, you're going to melt. Okay? We can conquer only through the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Things are going to get go from bad to worse, and then King Jesus will return and make things right. I've been preaching for like 34 years, encouraging our people to live for Jesus. And now I feel like the past year I've been encouraging you to be willing to die for Jesus. Okay? Our brothers and sisters in China, in India, Nigeria, and other countries throughout the world that are being persecuted for their faith, they've been paying, praying for us for decades. Because we were usually American, American Christians usually got them the gospel message, okay? North Korea, and they feel indebted to us, but they know we've been spoiled. The days of being spoiled children of God. They're over, brothers and sisters. Forget about earthly comfort. We serve King Jesus and we preach King Jesus and let the chips fall where they may. But we will preach. Trinity Bible Fellowship will preach King Jesus, our great God and Savior, until he returns in glory and takes his stand upon the earth. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord. And uh, may we cling to your promises. You, you have promised us salvation, eternal life, eternal joy, eternal peace. So many of your promises, may we trust in you to keep those promises. But you also promised us tribulation. You also promised us suffering. You also promised us persecution. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would equip us, empower us, not just to speak the truth in love when days are good, but to speak the truth in love and to live for Jesus even when days get bad. Help us to not only be willing to live for King Jesus, your son, but also to be willing to suffer and die for King Jesus if need be. I pray, Lord, that we would love one another, show the world that we're your son's disciples, draw us closer and closer together, bind us together, because we're going to need each other. 
more than ever before as the days get dark. Father, in Jesus' precious name, please, please, Lord, never remove our lampstand from our dark community. Give us the courage, the boldness, the wisdom, and the love to preach Jesus until he returns in glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray.